You're listening to Fascinating Women with Mark Laurie. And now, Mark Laurie. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Mark Laurie from Inner Spirit Photography. Today, of course, I'm hosting Fascinating Women, and my guest is Krista Costa. Hello, Krista. Hello, how are you? I am just grand. It's so good to have you here. This little video connection here was kind of cool. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it was. It's uh, it's always amazing when connections happen like that through a mutual person, mutual yeah. friend of ours. And <laughs> it is. It's it's uh, a degree for everybody, I guess. Is the yeah, it kind of happens with it. So let me tell you a little bit about myself first. Uh, I'm Mark Lord with Inner Spirit Photography. Usually, I'm photographing women, usually nude because they're going through some type of brave forward step but today we're going to be talking to Krista who's a life coach now but she didn't start off that way so mm -hmm. we're going to kind of explore the things that brought her that way and some of the foundations of her personality and books and how those things may be able to help you as well so welcome again yay so five things three things let's go with three things way back in your youth that uh, started to shape you for today Ooh, that's a great question. Three things that shaped me. I would have to say um, my very religious upbringing okay. um, has shaped me to be more spiritual and not religious. Okay. <laughs> um, my... Uh, my ability to feel at such a deep level, it went from people pleasing to empath empathy. Mm -hmm. It's always been empathy, but back when I was really little, it was definitely making sure everyone was happy around me. So that definitely f formed who I am today. And I would have to say um, part of my story being raised kind of out in nature for a lot of my life and my appreciation for living outdoors. I often will say it to people that, or if people follow me on social media, they know that I live outside. <laughs> and that was formed at a very early age. So when you say you live outside, what's that mean? Let's paint a bit of a picture. Um, I will wake up in the morning mm -hmm. and the first thing I do is go to my backyard and I walk in the grass. If it is snowing, I bundle up and I do a walk around the lap. I do a rock around our block. So it's the very first thing I'll do most of the morning, most mornings. Um, I will work like this. I'm indoors right now in my office, but as soon as I'm done, I will take my laptop or my phone and I'll get outside. I will sit on my, in the grass. I will go for a walk around the block. I will go to a local park. Um, and then I'll come back and do some more work and then I'll do work and then I get back outside again. So it's constantly out. If my break is ever happening, I'm an entrepreneur. So if ever I need to breathe or I get grounded or recentered or focused, I'm outside. And for that's what every 90 minutes is when a person should stop. And is that kind of what your rough time frame? Is? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I don't really keep a clock. It's more, it's for me, it's, I feel my energy depleting and then I go, ah, okay, I know I need to move. Um, but yes, my son is very cognizant of that. He's like 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We got a cat that's pretty demanding. So she <laughs> was dogs. It was like, there's sunshine. Why are you not up? Why are you not up? There? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do foster dogs. So when we have dogs here, that's um, that's also my cue. I'm like, and they need to go out. <laughs> and they keep uh, people young. Yeah. Working with it. So you mentioned that you're not really spiritual. What kind of shape does your spirituality take? 
Um, it has morphed throughout the years. Um, I believe in God. I also believe in energetic uh, field, the universe. Um, I do a lot of incense burning, which is burning right now as we're in the middle of talking. So if you see smoke, it's not weed, it's incense. <laughs> um, I do a lot of crystals. I do card readings in the morning. Anything that for me um, I signs. I'm huge into seeing signs. I see 7-Eleven everywhere, the numbers 7-Eleven. So then I will go and research what that means. So anything that keeps popping up in my world, I now go and look at what that means because it's coming for a reason for me. And I grew up very, there's only God and that's it. Very religious, very strict, heaven and hell. Um, no swearing, no drinking, no sex before marriage, all that kind of stuff. So um, my dad passed away 13 years ago or 15 years ago now, I guess. And when he died, it kind of opened up a window for me to start exploring my own, mm-hmm. my own spirituality um, and just kind of figuring out if, if there was do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. And I realized that there was not a lot of do's and don'ts and it's, it's more relationship that you have within yourself mm-hmm. and with the people around you. So my spirituality is, and just like everybody's, it's very personal. Yeah. Uh, it's very unique to each person. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay if people don't understand it. Whereas before it used to be like, everyone needs to be the same as me. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's such a beautiful world when you can open up to everybody else's ideas as well. And, and the way they believe it's just such a beautiful thing. So usually it's a belief that's for their betterment. Like it's a, uh... Yeah, it's the kinds. I had a friend one time was cool. He um, he explained to me his spirituality and the reason why he liked to speak to his particular God by himself. And he said, if I do, if I talk to the representation of God, a priest, mm-hmm. whatever he says, I, I tell him what I want. He interprets that. He then takes the higher power. He then explains what he thinks I want. The higher power then uh, talks to him. He comes back, he interprets. He says, or I could just talk to the higher power directly and. So that was he was quite a really guy. He actually built a church in India. Oh. The neat thing about this church is it holds, I think, two hundred denominations. Each body's got a small room, so tourists come through and you can talk to representatives of all the different religions. Mm. And they're all kind of cohabit, cohabit mm. in one space, which I thought was pretty brilliant. Super. Yeah, I, I I'm just so um, interested in so many different spiritual practices and different things that people do so that's kind of wild. so you mentioned your your dad died about 15 years ago mm-hmm. and you're a young girl like i'm 65 so you look a lot younger so is that is that when things change with his passing was that like the milestone change or you start to go through an awakening before that not no. just spirituality but of, of how your life started changing mm-hmm. um well first of all thank you i'm 46 so i feel very young i got married at a very young age and had kids very you know 21 i got married I had kids at 23 and 24 and um two boys and they've kept me young i feel that that's that um well, yeah, I would say then is really when uh, my dad was somebody that um, I'll just go back a little bit so people can hear kind of, you know, they can kind of put, put it into perspective of what my relationship was like, because that part of my story is the part that I do know people relate to the most and they're able to go, oh, that's me. Um, when I was six, 
my sister, my mom and dad were married at the time and they were going through a separation. Uh, my sister was five and we lived out east in Ontario, Canada. And um, they were, they were going through what parents do and adults do. And they were, uh, you know, there was arguments here and there and there was fighting and we lived with my mom um, in an apartment complex. And my dad, um, there was, you know, stuff going on and, and he wanted us and she didn't want him to have us. And, um, so one afternoon he came to the apartment building and we were being babysat at the time. And he came in through the gate, we were swimming in the pool and he came in through the gate and the babysitter was there. And he said, their mom, their mom said I could take them for ice cream. He's like, the babysitter was like, okay, which wouldn't happen nowadays, but then it did. And so we ran and we got in the car with him and we were super excited. We loved our dad and he took off with us and we never saw my mom again for 23 years. So he kidnapped us. And I remember in that moment being super excited to be with my dad. Um, I was young. I was six. I remember um, nights after that, he went across the border into the States and we started camping and we started traveling and being on the run. Mm-hmm. And she came home from wherever she was and noticed that we were gone. And the babysitter said, well, their dad took them. And she knew, like she instantly knew we were gone. Right. Um, she hired FBI agents. She uh, called America's Most Wanted. She tried everything to get us back. And he just kept outrunning her and kept moving state lines. And every time he moved a state line, she'd have to rehire new private investigators and new, you know, cause back then there was no real communication happening between, between them like there is now. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so she'd have to rehire people. And so this went on for months and months and months while he just kept, we kept camping. And I remember nights would go by and we'd be laying there in the tent and, I would ask him, I'm like, are we ever going to see our mom again? Are we ever going to see mom again, dad? And he would always just say, she left us. Mm-hmm. She left us. And so I grew up thinking my mom had left me. I grew up thinking she didn't love me. I grew up wanting to just make my dad happy because I saw how sad he was through all of this. Cause of course he was, cause this was terrible for them. Yeah. He also played God in the situation, you know, and I'm able to speak about this now. There wasn't, it was, you know, years ago where I would mumble my way through it and cry because it was so raw and I had so much unforgiveness. I'm able to speak in such a place of, of empathy and just really compassion for both of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Just knowing that adults, we do the best we can (laughs) and it's not always right. And it's not always good. And as parents, we don't always make the right decision and no, he didn't make the right decision, you know, like in my mind, but he did it. And here I am today. So he, uh, he, there came a point where they did speak. And I want to say this was about nine to 10 months later. At some point there was a phone call. Cause I remember being asked if we wanted to say goodbye to her cause we were never going to see her again. And I said, no, I said, no, she left us. I'm mad at her. And I can remember saying this very clearly and I wanted my dad happy. Mm-hmm. And the way he was going to be happy was if I didn't speak to her ever again. So, um, she said, stop running, give the girls a life, make them have some friends, all this stuff. And I'll stop chasing, just stop running with them, just settle them down, just give them a life. So he did. So we ended up in Colorado and he got remarried when I was 11 
Mm-hmm. So there was years there where it was just the three of us. So my sister, me, and my dad. I was the oldest, and I also became the caretaker. I became the one that made sure both of them were okay all the time. So this happened at six. Right. And I wanted to make sure she was happy and she was safe, and I wanted to make sure he was happy, and, he, and I did whatever it took not saying things, saying what was right, saying what I didn't want to be saying, but I knew that that would make him happy. Um, I did everything that I thought, quote unquote, was the right thing to do as a child. And I knew right away if I didn't, I got a spanking right away if I said something wrong. So if I even remotely said that my mom was missing or that we were taken or, you know, anything like that. So we weren't allowed to talk about that ever, 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 ever. So then he got remarried when I was 11 and to a lady that brought in two daughters mm-hmm. and so then it became hers, his, and then they had a child together. So we had a blended family mm-hmm. in that moment on the wedding day. He had said, this is your family. There's no more talking about your mom. There's no more, nothing like this is your family period. Mm-hmm. Very religious man. Um, God was taking care of us. This is what God wanted. Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff was very, very ingrained in my mind that this was God's will. This was the way life was supposed to be. And this was my family done. My sister and I would go to bed at night and we would talk about mom. We'd wonder where she was. We'd wonder if she was alive, if she thought about us at all. Um, we'd get mad at dad in our bedroom because we weren't allowed to get mad at him out in public or into his face. So, um, Every now and then growing up as I was a teenager, we grew up in, I grew up in Colorado till I was 12. And then when I was 12, he uprooted the whole family and we moved to Canmore, Alberta, Canada. So I grew up in the mountains, which I'm not complaining. It was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, Still have the appreciation for them today. And that this is why my nature is so, it's such a mother earth to me. Like that was my mom earth. The earth is my mother and it always was because we tented we camped while we were on the run. And then even after he got remarried, we went camping all the time and was outside and it felt it was a very safe place for me being outside, being amongst the trees and the grass and water. Um, It was the one stability, I guess, maybe in my life that I always felt. And so when we moved up to Canmore, I was grade seven, and that, again, was a struggle, (laughs) starting at a new school in junior high and wanting to fit in so badly and doing whatever it took to fit in, to say the right thing, drink, smoke, drugs, whatever it took. I just wanted to fit in. Um, That became a real uh, guiding path. mm, Embedded so deeply to be a a people pleaser, I guess, is a popular term now. Huge huge mark it was very very ingrained in me that this is what you do you make sure that everyone's happy around you and you do whatever it takes you don't say no and you die inside a little bit each time you know and it's you lose who you are you lose who you are and I didn't know that till I became older obviously and I became started to become self-aware of like whoa hang on a second so um graduated And I took off at 17. I graduated at 17. Yeah, I'd go back. While I was growing up, he would say little things to me, um, you know, about my body. He would say things like, um, I just want to tie it in there a bit, because that was a very big part of my self-healing was my body image. And he would say things like, your thighs are like tree trunks, or you could move a car with your, you know, with your thighs, or it was always about my my legs. Um, So I had a real, real 
confidence issue with them. I didn't wear a bathing suit till who knows when, like, you know, without shorts, Mm -hmm. without shorts. I always had shorts on, Um, you know, or he would say things like, you know, your legs are just like your mom's. You're always going to have to work on them. And so that took a long time for me to, to get over. And still to this day, it's still something that I, you know, that I find myself will struggle with. If someone says, Oh, you've got great legs. I'm like, are you serious? These things, you know, like I'll, I'll deflect quickly. So graduated at 17. I took off to Australia. I went to Bible school there. It was the only, I was going to be allowed out of the house. (laughs) I said, I'm going to Bible school. And so I left with a girlfriend. I went there and we were gone for about seven months and it was beautiful. It was amazing. It was freeing. I didn't, you know, every Sunday was a phone call and, um, that was it. But the rest of the time it was, I was out from underneath that controlling house. I was out from underneath the chaos. I was out from underneath having to make sure he was okay all the time because that was every day. I made sure he was okay. Every single day. Um, was he happy? And my dad would leave the house maybe whistling, but I never knew how he was going to come back in. I didn't know if there was going to be eggshells we were walking on or if I was going to have to say something to make it better if I could hide in the bedroom. Um, I just, I was never sure uh, what was going on. So uh, the man loved me beyond control. It was a codependency relationship that I can't even explain to the nth degree. And so um, I got married when I was 20, uh, 21, met my, my husband at 19 up in Banff and we got married. And even after I got married, I remember always looking to my dad and asking if something was okay. Was it okay that we bought this house? Is it okay that we go on this trip? Is it okay? And this lasted a long time. Um, What kind of tools did you wind up using to to get through that? Like, so you've got a really strong codependence piece, but clearly that's not your issues, the wrong phrase, but you've grown beyond that. And that's what you Mm -hmm. know. What, What kind of tools that you use that started to help you shape a new opinion yeah it was so my dad died 15 years ago he was he, he was killed in a tragic car accident um i went into a dark spiral for about four years five years there and i just did a post about it on my facebook yesterday but um it was then that i started to realize when he wasn't here how much i relied on him mm-hmm. and how much i didn't know who i was without him right So that was where the big thing happened for me. And I've had people ask me before, like, do you think you would be where you are today if your dad was still here? I don't, but I do think I would be on my journey, but I don't know what that would look like. Right. Um, Because that tie was cut immediately. Mm -hmm. And so it left me in a tailspin of who am I? What am I doing? Where am I going? It really did. So I started counseling and I started therapy like big time. And then I hired my first life coach when other parts of my life was falling apart. My businesses were falling apart. I couldn't seem to get happy. I didn't know who, you know, what I wanted. I just felt like I was pleasing everybody but me, mm-hmm. um, which is very common. And so once I started down the path, it was, so it was exactly seven years ago, I started my self-discovery and the, the thing of wanting everyone else happy kept surfacing. Mm-hmm. I kept, the, it was the one thing I kept hearing myself say. 
right? And so then the awareness, the awareness became really uh, clear for me. Now, codependency for me was like the need, like I needed people to be happy in order for me to be happy. Like that's yeah. where that, that connection made. I was like, oh, wait a second. I'm not happy unless they're happy. Oh, that's, that's not okay. And that happened within my family, like my husband and my boys. So I could see that. I'm like, oh, I'm, I can't be happy unless they are. And so that was a real uh, red flag for me as well. So then, of course, that started down the journey again. And my, I remember the very first counselor I was sitting with, I was 27, and she's like, because um, I was missing my mom. And I'm like, there's a part of me that's missing. I need a, a puzzle piece. And so she goes, well, has anything traumatic happened in your life? I'm like, well, not really, because I couldn't even tell her. Yeah. And she goes, okay, well, why don't you just tell me a little bit about your childhood? So I did, and she's like, uh, okay, so you've got abandonment issues. And I remember staring at her like a deer in the headlights because I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I no one's left me. Like, literally had no idea. So that for me was when journaling is a massive tool for me. Verbally processing is a huge tool for me. What's verbally processing? Pardon? What is verbally processing? I haven't heard that. Talking it out. Okay. Talking it out just like this, sharing my story mm-hmm. is huge, helpful. Um, every time I share, I heal a little bit more and I have a little bit more awareness around who I am. So is there any guidelines? I'm thinking if some people are listening to this uh, yep. that are saying, okay, I, I can see myself in you. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there guidelines that you, like you, you talk to people? Are you a bit guard? What you say? Or you just sort of open up the vault and say, here's my heart. This is what I'm about. Um, sorry, can you repeat that again? It just kind of questions out there. You're, you're, you're verbalizing. How does that work? Like how bold can a person be? Do you find someone who's trying mm. to talk to, or you just talk to your neighbor and say, here's, here's my clock inside. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody's different for that. I think everybody's different. I'm very much an open book and people relate to me on a very, very deep level. I'm also, uh, very safe for people to talk to because I don't talk about anybody else's issues. Now, my clients will come to me because they only want to talk to me. That's it. You know, so they don't want the world to know their issues, but they need to work through them. They can relate to me because I am so open. Um, but everybody's different. Some people are great talking on a stage, sharing their... Yeah. Right? I, I think that's more of the minority. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people aren't comfortable talking on the stage at all. And then to talk on the stage and open up. But I also believe that if you once the more you start telling about yourself or telling about your backstory with a purpose not to not to be egotistical but to say look i'm going to share this because it's helpful to me but i want to share this because it's going to be helpful to you maybe you find some kind of nugget in there uh to kind of grow from that so i think that's more the the um exception the person who goes up on stage and says here's my my book can you start to see after a while that becomes very practiced how it goes well and you can tell like you can tell too mark like you can tell the energy behind when people are speaking there you can tell it's coming from a place of where you know of oh this is real she's she's healing or he's talking through this and it's really resonating with me and then there's people that talk you're like "Mm." you know so i because i've been both i've done both i've said things where i'm like hope this gets a lot of attention you know years ago and then now it's coming from a place of going i really hope this helps you somewhere in here because it's helping me massively to talk about this I was talking to uh, Shannon yesterday, and she was talking about uh, authenticity because she also mm. on the stage. And I don't think it's it don't have to be on the stage or off the stage. Um, I believe that people are very fine tuned as us 
I was talking to a friend about uh, his, he's quite a philosophical person, and his belief was that people don't have short attention spans anymore. Like the world mm. says you got the short attention span. What he believes is the bullshit meter has really been tuned. Oh, 100%. And so, and so I can start, I can detect um, the, when, is, when you're trying to make me do something or it's a story that's not real. Hundred percent, and so I'm. Yeah, is that a, like you say? Hundred percent. Do you believe that the mm. people no longer have a short attention span? They're just very quick with what they're going to pay attention to. I think that the, the bullshit meter is so high on people now. People can feel it and read it and see it, and I honestly think that's it. Because I used to think it was like the attention span, mm-hmm. and I, there probably still is that in there. I, I'll have to say it probably yeah. is that in there as well. However. What I also know is that you can captivate me if you're speaking the truth. Yes. I will watch you for an hour and a half. Yeah, it, that's, that's his point, and I agree with him. And he was he actually at that time he was pointing to me. So you start telling your stories about your photography. Because mm-hmm. I still mesmerize me for for two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, you get onto it, your topic. You don't care much about cars, and you say you lose me after ten seconds. <laughs> you got no interest, and you clearly don't have any interest either. So like you're right. doing something. So <laughs> well, yeah, okay. I'll, don't talk a lot about cars unless it involves women I'm photographing and I can get stars. <laughs> right. And I mean, it's, and you know what, and somebody that, you know, uh, it, it'd be like, I sometimes think if you've got passion behind what you're talking about, I'll listen. Like if someone's talking about cars and they are so passionate about oh. it, I'm like, God, yeah. I, I kind of like cars now, you know, like it, it's one of those things. But if someone doesn't have that energy and passion, whatever it is they're talking about, you're, you're going to lose me. You're going to, I'm not going to listen. Yeah. But because there's nothing quite as as interesting as watching somebody who has a passion, whether you connect with it or not, just to watch them blowingly mm. explain something. And we, I, I think back on cars. I had a client that came in as photographing women with antique cars. Everything I do is like women with women with. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. He says, I restored a car. I go, this is neat because I was photographing old Model A's and really intriguing things. And he hauls me out, and, and there's this brown Datsun. <laughs> if you refer to factory standards, and he says, you know, it's hard to get original plastic. I'm not bet you it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and brown, like, why would you pick brown? It's the most common color. Well, that's, that's good. That's good. There's a reason. Yeah. It yeah. But his passion was so much about this effort he had done. So, yeah. So, it, it, right. It kind of, it kind of kicks into it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, I know for where I am today it took it's taken me a while probably the last two years I've really narrowed down my niche because you know and what I want what my passion is but I notice myself change when I talk about helping women get out of that cycle I notice how my whole energy gets lifted up and I'm like oh I'm ready to go for the day I know what I'm doing you know whereas before I was like um do you not like your job like I was trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to help people with you know and I couldn't quite narrow it down because even as a life coach and an entrepreneur I was trying to see what was best for everybody else out there Hi, ding, ding, ding. Like I was still pleasing everybody else out there and not listening to what was going on in here. I'm like, what does everybody else need? What does the world need? You know, it's like, oh my God, like, what do you want to deliver, Krista? Like, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to help people with? So it's really, you know, it's been a beautiful, beautiful journey. And I'm not even saying that this is the end. Like this might just be a stepping stone to something else. I'm going to start, you know, some other life coaching topic I'm going to go on or whatever. So that's one of the interesting things we've talked um, about 
in the, in the past, because our lifespan is projected quite, quite a bit longer, um, people would only have one job because there wasn't that many jobs around and, and the where to live didn't change so much. And now you'd always want, also want to be in whatever your dad or dad was is what your future would hold. And now the odds of your of your dad's job or mom's job even exists by the time you hit the job market is like very, very low. But people keep changing. Um, and, you know, again, when you got old, when you used to get old at 35 and dead by 45, uh, you know, that was like one cycle. So you didn't really have a chance to become several people. And, and the knowledge wasn't as, as small, like, accessible as it is today now. But you can go through three or four growth spurts, you might say, and still not even scratch it. So well, and you know what's interesting about that is that's how I grew up. Like my dad was an entrepreneur. So he tried many, many different things and I was modeled that. So when I got married, I took hair school. And before I got married, I was like a server and I was a gas jockey and I was a chambermaid. And, and then I got married and I took hairstyling school. So I went to school for six months. I became a hairstylist and I stayed there for about 12 years doing hair. Well, I tried quitting hair for about six, six different times because I was so done. I'm like, Oh, I'm ready for something else. I just wanted to, but it wasn't, it wasn't looked upon well in the circle that it was in. It was like, why are you changing? Why, why do you want to, you're good at it. Why do you, and I'm like, I'm done. Like, I want to go do something else. So I finally quit that, sold everything in one day because I had to burn the boats. Like I could not go back to it. Like I, so I sold everything on Kijiji. Yeah. And then that Monday I started working downtown at a nonprofit organization, uh, Brown Bagging for Calgary's kids. And I stayed there for two years and I'm like, Nope, this isn't for me. And then I tried something else and I worked in hail damage insurance company at a desk and I'm like, Nope, that's not for me. And so then I went and worked at a chiropractor clinic mm -hmm. and I fell in love with fitness and I actually opened up my own fitness boot camp. So that was my very first kind of like, I mean, I own my own hairstyling company, but this one was outside the house and it was a brick and mortar. And I started being a boot camp instructor and I did that for six years loved it loved the community we built loved loved all the but I was done after that I'm like I'm ready for something else and that's when I became a life coach so I definitely wasn't hanging around people like me like it just people were I still have friends that are like yeah I've been at this job for 16 years I'm like how <laughs> you know because I was just such a I just want I like change I like try I like the challenge of trying something new what I've learned about myself over the years is that I could buy businesses, mm -hmm. get them up and going and sell them quickly. Don't stay there. Mm -hmm. Give them to some, sell them to somebody else. I haven't done that, but that's something I would be good at because I, I like that flipping. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the anomaly. I'm like this year, yeah. I photography is 40 years old. I know. See, and I look at you, I look at people like you and I'm like, good for like, good for you. That is so amazing. But I go, how, <laughs> you know, my husband's the same. He's been a youth pastor for, he's going on 18 years, 18 years. Like, and he's lived with me, you know, and he's just like, buckle up. I'm moving again. Buckle up. We're moving again. You know, like what I do though, is that it is that we're constantly changing. Like, right. You know, my, my clientele was, was always women, but when we started doing this, you know, there, this kind of thing didn't exist at all. Right. We trade photographers for it but you know i'll go in and we'll we're doing milk throws where a woman does a pose and we throw milk mm. on her example it in photoshop um and we've got another space so i'll keep on finding ways to reinvent what i do 
and that and the thing we discovered a while ago that my, my photography is my tool i'm really changing women's lives oh huge and so that becomes so the focus becomes shifting but each person comes in they're kind of different so but it's um every day for me it's very very exciting because i don't know what's gonna each day is gonna right Yeah. No, I can only imagine. Yeah. I think, I think for me, the thought of sitting at a desk nine to five answering the phone makes me not happy. I could, uh, (laughs) I've never, I think, well, but even that I was, uh, I was mobile. I'd have different locations to work. Right. So what has been your biggest failure that you've grown from? Oh, my biggest failure. Crash in a oh, wow. Yeah. You know what? I think the first thing that just came into my head, so I'm going to go with this one because this is usually what that means. True. <laughs> yeah. um, it was my fitness business. It was, I think, if I'm absolutely honest, and I've, I've talked about this before, I think I gave up on that mm-hmm. sooner than. I think I could have stuck with it a little bit longer. It was one of my greatest lessons of learning for myself. However, it got hard and I fell out of love with doing it. And so I just sold it instead of pushing through to see where it could have taken me. Um, I didn't, I didn't straddle. I just sold it and started my life coaching business. And that was not good at all on business aspect. Um, people didn't follow me. Um, you know, I was expecting 230 people. I had an income coming in and I sold it in, you know, a week. And then the following week, I didn't have 230 people income coming in. I had one, literally, Mark, I had one person. So that for me was like, uh, um, at the time I was mad. So I wasn't able to self-reflect quite yet. I was mad. I was like, how could they not follow me? And, you know, now I'm able to go, oh, got it. <laughs> So that for me is one of the ones that really, really stands out for me. That's cool. That's and it's hard for me to even call it a failure, right? And I know that you think the same, but it was just it's no, hard for me to call it that, but definitely I can see it like that. I've, um, I've discovered that, that um, failure, if you stop at that point, then right. that's failure. Like, right. right. People stop. Um, but for entrepreneurs and for for a lot of people are starting to change the thinking, um, it's a learning thing. So mm. it's either uh, some said it's either successful or it's a learning education. Right. <laughs> right. It's one of the two things. Changing the whole wording, the wording in there. And sometimes though, I've, I've found some of my biggest successes came after a horrible failure. We did a marketing campaign once and it was expensive and I followed the guy's advice. My instinct said no. I got three people out of it. Wow. Expensive. And they and they, they all could only afford one print. And in those days, those prints were really, really cheap. Wow. And so uh, I came up with the idea of the calendar process, like a photograph a month. So now they could they could take them a year to buy photographs, but I just have this income going. And that came out, I, I had to save something. That became right. a disaster. So it really kicks in. Do you have any um, quotes, inspirational quotes that you live by that, that kind of mean something to you? Yep. Um, Marianne, Marianne Williamson's her big long one, mm-hmm. um, about being a light. I'd have to look it up because it's so long, <laughs> right. but it's on, it's on uh, like numerous people have given it to me and it's in one of my books and it's just about us shining our light so that other people can see us shining. It's giving us permission. Who are we not to mm-hmm. that one? 
And it's just such a beautiful, because we all dim, we don't want to. And for me personally, it was because I was afraid I was going to step on someone's toes or be too bright. And I didn't want to shadow other people by me being who, you know, I was created to be because I know I'm a loud person and I'm boisterous and I get excited and, and I'm, I'm a large presence when I go into a room. And so I always dimmed that for a long time or I would do it with just specific people and because I didn't want to you know really ruffle any feathers and I'm like oh my gosh like and as I started to go along and there's different ways there's ego that comes into a room and there's soul that comes into a room and now it's soul you know so I'm like I'm good coming in like this (laughs) it's 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 I mean the words still look like there's no real difference this big energy is blocking the room but the difference between soul and ego is huge uh, people respond to soul, they tend to respond differently to pure ego. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, <laughs> they do. <laughs> um, and I've also found people can walk in and the room fills with their quietness. Mm. Like they're, um, they're, they're not loud, they're not boisterous, and yet they create an instant calming in the room and people want to talk to them, they want to be around them, they want to listen to the words that they do say. And it's uh, it's fascinating to watch the mechanics of that is people respond to person. Yeah, I know too. I know there's a guy and a girl that just popped into my head right now when you said that. And I'm like, oh, their energy. I just want to, I love yeah. it. Yeah, then there's also people that just like that, that emotion. That they, not, the, <laughs> not in a good way. <laughs> they walk in and go, how can you, this person, and they, and they love it. And then that's their whole focus is that they just kind of go by and if you manage they just take it and then yep. it's black pit. It's just really. Yeah, it's a black pit. It is. Yep. So what kind of things have your attention right now? What kind of things are you curious about? What kind of things right now am I curious about? Um, I'm always reading a self-development book. I just finished. Ah, where is it? I just finished. Well, I'm actually reading Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. So I just finished that one, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Finished that one. Mm-hmm. Um, You're a Badass is always the one that's, oh, The War of Art. It's about procrastinating in your business or in life in general. It's an amazing, amazing Thank book. The War of Art? The War of Art. Mm-hmm. And Breakthrough Blocks to win your, in cre- your inner creative battle by Stephen Pressfield. It's an unbelievable book. Um, it's very short. It's an easy read. Um, right now, especially during COVID, when COVID kind of hit, um, I was really, really just wanting to help and give inspiration to people and, and really let people know that we're going to be okay through this. And that I, you know, it was, it was, I went straight onto Facebook. I did a whole bunch of lives with a bunch of collaborations with women. Um, right now I am really focused on just marketing my business on who, what I am, who I help. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, I just signed up for another uh, course. I'm always learning about codependency and people pleasing. I like to learn different levels of that. So I just signed up for another course online for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I like teaching new ways. I like speaking new ways of doing this, educating myself on this particular matter is the most important thing for me because the way that I can articulate it will relate to somebody out there. Um, so I find that very, very, I love every day I'm learning something about it. So the, the empathy that you talked about that you, mm-hmm. you got and that you work on, is that something that you believe people are essentially empathetic and they feel that way? Or is that something that you, skill that you can kind of grow? You can right? definitely hone in on it for sure. I think you definitely yeah. can. But I believe true empathetic people mm-hmm. have it 
they're born with it. I believe that when it's something that you, and I've talked about this numerous times because at the beginning of COVID, this is when I realized, so it wasn't that long ago, you guys, when you're listening out here for me, (laughs) I really tapped into how well my energy level is like through the roof, how I feel and I read and I see other people's energy. And I was like, Oh wow, I've got this. And I always known I have, Mm -hmm. but I suppressed it for so long because I didn't want to feel that because it wasn't good. Um, I didn't want to feel it and I didn't know how to deal with it myself. That was the thing. I would be feeling anxious or I'd be feeling nervous or sad or angry or whatever, but that wasn't mine that I was feeling. I was feeling somebody else's and I didn't know how to deal with that. So for me, empathy is and the energy that I feel from somebody. So for me, the very beginning of COVID, I walked into the grocery store and we all know how grocery stores were out of control. Mm-hmm. People were so scared, especially like the first week. And I just remember shaking because I, I had, I like viscerally shaking standing there paying for my groceries because I was feeling everybody's fear. And I went back and got in the car and I just started bawling and I had no idea what was going on. I phoned my girlfriend that works in this. She does energy healing and um, breath work and all that. And I said, Amanda, I, I don't know what's going on. Like I am, I'm literally sitting here shaking And I don't even know if I'm that scared or if I'm feeling everybody else's. And she's like, you are taking on everybody else's. You are feeling at a level in your soul that you need to, you know, replenish. You need to make yourself strong or you're going to be a mess. So that's been my progress over the last four months, five months is just, but I was born with it. I know I was born with it because I felt this type of thing when I was six, when I was five, when I was at home. I'm just sort of thinking because empathy essentially is trying to, try to guess what other people are feeling and you can then deal with a couple of ways but when your childhood that that's your paper paper thing was kicking in and that is a form of empathy just huge it's not be able to control so you're actually as a young child you're actually um fine-tuning it just for the wrong purposes right right <laughs> so right. you gotta kind of get back into it yeah yep so now it's a gift my my oldest son has it and i tell him all the time i'm like it is a gift don't ever be you know you just have to take care of yourself because you will get worn down yeah. empathetic people people pleasers we all get very worn down because we're feeling everything so you the best thing I can do and the best thing that I tell my clients is just the self-care routine has to be like through the roof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, there's other things than empathy. I think a lot of people don't step into their own greatness mm. uh, easily because they'll have something that comes easily. That's, that's usually, that's what I think the, uh, the watermark of this is your special talent. This is your unique ability mm. is this comes too easy. And because it's easy, you don't give it much value. Mm. And so like artists, have, artists especially have this problem where they just paint and then they just, well, I just knock this off. How, how it can be, but I remember um, Picasso one time, he, the guy said, you just art and he just sketched on a napkin, this guy's face. Right. And he went to take it, the guy, the interview, the guy, the Picasso took back, he says, I'll, let, I'll sell it to you right now on, on air for five, I think it was $10,000. Mm-hmm. And he paused, he says, it just took you three seconds on napkin. Oh yes, I signed it though. And you can so if you can buy it now for ten thousand dollars, or we'll sell it tomorrow for forty thousand. The guy's like stuck because that's his whole year's wage, a couple of months' wage. Right. Um, so identifying your gift, whether it be mm-hmm. empathy or, or some kind of leadership thing, is pretty important. Does that make sense? Oh, it's so so important. And I, I and people go, well, I don't know what my gift is because that was me for a long time. I didn't know what my gift was. I'd say empathy is definitely a gift. I also have the gift of making people feel 
and I only know this because, and here's a tip for you guys out there is like, listen to what people compliment you on. Listen to what people tell you that you're good at. Mm-hmm. And maybe you don't even know. It's just something that comes so naturally to you. Yeah. And you don't, right. You don't know that you're like, Oh, well, I just, I just do that. Like, I don't even, I don't even try. That's a, that's a gift that's coming out for you. That's, that's your gifting. I was with a strategic coach and he said, there's things you're incompetent at, things mm-hmm. you're competent at, things you excel at, and things that you're natural at. Mm-hmm. Most people spend too much time at their competency level, but they tend to think that their special talent as well. Excel, excel, they have to work a bit at it. Mm. They totally don't spend any time in what they, what's just natural to them. Cause it's, it's, right. And then, cause you might be natural at it. So for me, um, a lot of people have told me like, you're really good at making people feel like they're the only person in the room. Mm-hmm. You, you give people your undivided attention. Once I was told it, then I worked even harder at it. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was a talent that I had that I didn't know. I was like, Oh, I just do that. I like making people feel special. Like I just like, cause I like that. Yeah. So that's, then once it was brought to my attention, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to work on this even more. It's a huge thing. I could talk to you for hours quite quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but clearly that will not happen. <laughs> you know, I have the hours and time. But we had um, we had some people we we had we had a topic sometimes actually with bullies. Another one was um, mm. those great people where where we spent a whole line on this thing, we had a whole topic onto it. But you've been fascinating, which is according to my story. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been, it's been really cool. It's a perspective. You don't often hear of a person who's got kind of a backstory like yourself that is then shaped up. It's just such a, uh, you know, 360 degree mm-hmm. uh, sort of life race, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah. Um, for everybody, there's in the, in the bio pieces, there's going to be all sorts of links and whatnot. So you can get a hold of Krista quite easily and get all, all more information and some of the things we mentioned will take out for you as well. It's yeah. Great having you. I really enjoyed having you on the show. Just Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. This is Mark Laurie from the Fascinating Women, usually behind the camera at Inner Spirit Photography, but doing this this time. This is Krista Costa. Thank you for joining us. This has been Fascinating Women with Mark Laurie. Join us on our website and subscribe at fascinatingwomen.ca. Fascinating Women has been sponsored by Inner Spirit Photography of Calgary, Alberta, and is produced in Calgary by Lee Ellis and My Office Media.